Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. Today's episode is brought to you by two very special guest hosts. That's written right in the script. I'm Meryl Dakin, and uh, my co-host, Sophie DiBenedetto. Can you introduce yourself, Sophie? Yeah. Hi, guys. Super happy to be here. I'm currently a full-stack developer at Frame.io, and Sophie? I recently joined the team at GitHub, so it's been almost two months there. So it still sounds weird to say that I work at GitHub, but I get to do <laughs> So this season's theme is working with Elixir, and we're talking today about Elixir education with Sean Callen and Steven Nunez. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Can you each introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your background, the company you work at, and how you got started with Elixir? Sean, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I'm Sean Callen. I'm the director of web engineering at System76. I've been a lifetime programmer and I've been using Elixir since the very early days. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Steven? Sure. Uh, hey, I'm Steven. I'm a staff engineer at the Flatiron School, a coding bootcamp headquartered in New York. And I've been working with Elixir for a pretty long time. I'd say definitely pre 1.0 and have been loving every minute. Yeah, it's so great to have you guys and have this chance to chat because I think each of you were sort of instrumental in my own experiences learning Elixir. Steven incepted me and a couple of other people at Flatiron years ago, sort of back in the early days when a number of us were working together as teachers there. And I still remember one day, I think it was after classes had wrapped up for the day, you asked a bunch of our students if they wanted to see something cool, which is always kind of dangerous, I think, to ask a bunch of people learning how to code because they're always going to say yes. And you gave sort of like a little ad hoc Elixir intro, and that just really captured my imagination. And then as I was working with it more and more, I got connected with Sean, who is one of the, I believe, founders as well as maintainers of Elixir School, which is a free open source Elixir curriculum that our listeners may have come across, translated into lots of languages. And working with Sean and writing for Elixir School is definitely a way that I started to really engage with the Elixir community. So super awesome to have you guys here. I did want to say a little bit about how this very special guest hosting episode came to be, because any regular listeners of Elixir Wizards will know that me and Meryl are not Eric and Justice. So Meryl, Stephen, and I used to all work together on the Flatiron School's engineering team. And we were part of some of these early efforts to grow Elixir adoption at Flatiron. We did some really exciting stuff to ship Greenfield Elixir apps to production. And we all, at various times, if not at the same time, used to teach there. So three of us definitely share an interest in and a love of not just Elixir, but also education. And I think, Sean, it's not too much of a stretch to say that those are some topics that are close to your heart as well, given your background, not just as an engineer, but promoting and working with and, and making maintaining Elixir School and all the other things that you do in the Elixir community. So, yep, super excited to have a chance to really dig into the topic of Elixir education with you guys. And just a little bit more background before we move on to some questions for our guests. So when Stephen, Merrill, and I were working together at Flatiron, we were actually on the same squad. We had like a bunch of different squads in the engineering team. And our team was called X-Team. And if you're wondering what that is, I also am still wondering what that is. And for Halloween, we all decided, I think except for Stephen, who I want to say stayed home that day, which, you know, one day I'll get over that. We all decided we would be, I think, witches for Halloween. And we all went to like Party City and we bought these uh, big black witch hats. And that's when ex-coven was born. We were no longer ex-team. We were ex-coven. And the running joke and many puns around Elixir and 
witchcraft and wizardry and potion mixing was born then and probably will never, ever die. So one thing that we thought it might be fun to do is kind of leaning into this theme of ex-coven and elixir wizards, we were hoping you guys would be comfortable with opening the episode with some brief horoscopes that we're going to be looking up. I have this enormous book that I will show you guys, but you can't see, of course, if you're listening. This is a book that was gifted to me by a dear old friend who is moving to Cambridge, England, and for some reason doesn't want to take a 800-page astrology book with her to the UK. So we're going to look up our work and professional horoscopes for each of y'all's birthdays, and we're going to see if there's any relevancy there as we kind of go through the rest of our questions for the day. Any been meandering. No, I've been meandering through life without knowing this, and finally, this is the day. Wow. Well, here we have Geraldine Sullivan, who is the author of this book, 800 Pages Again, is ready to talk. They have a lot to say, evidently. Yeah. They really do. Lot. How much time lot. do we have for these horoscopes? That's going to be the majority of this episode. So buckle like, up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for showing up to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've trapped you, I think we can say that it's going to be about 90% horoscopes. Extensive. Yes. So, Sean, what do you think? You want to kick us off? Could you share your birthday? Just the date. You don't have to tell us the year. Yeah, May 30th. May 30th. There we go. Okay, work and vocation is what we're going to stick with. Your talent with words and shrewd intellect make you an excellent candidate to be a writer, teacher, lecturer, promoter. Wow. Could I have planned this any better? Wow. I got a little nervous because I didn't really have time to read these ahead of time. You should be a minor. I was like, is this Oh my gosh. Excellent candidate to be a writer, teacher, lecturer, promoter. Could you even imagine? Equally with your flair for people, you can excel as an agent, salesperson, or in public relations, which I actually think is interesting. I feel like maybe some of the work you do to promote elixir school and other things, it's a little bit of PR work. What else we got here? A natural psychologist, congratulations, you may find occupations that involve personal contact, such as counseling, therapy, healthcare, particularly rewarding. Would you like to hear some famous people that share your birthday before we wrap it up? We've got Benny Goodman. Writer Cornelia Otis Skinner. Oh, yes. Oh, she's great. This book is from the 40s, apparently. I think it might be. Country singer Winona Judge. Pretty cool. And film director, noted film director, I should say Howard Hawks Mm. of fame. This book is old. (laughs) So old. But horoscopes are timeless. We're going to conclude the episode by looking at when this book was published, and I'm just going to let everybody wonder until that time. So there's some interesting stuff here, you know, that we'll maybe have an opportunity to touch on. Your shrewd intellect, your penchant for teaching, perhaps. Yeah. A promoter, a natural psychologist. That's it. It's really interesting, actually. Like, all of that is really spot on. I have a really huge, outside of program, I have a huge interest in medicine. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I actually used to work in the hospital system for a long time through high school and college. And then you got into Elixir? <laughs> I get it. I see what you did there. You got that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Is it a medicine pun? It, yeah. It's a yeah. pun about medicine. It's a, it's a pun about medicine. I got it. Yeah. Sophie's still reading the book. She's not. She's not. She's <laughs> I'm lost right. in this book. I mean, it's interesting because this friend of mine who I've known for a while has had this book for years and we would occasionally like trot it out at parties and... It's always like, it's pretty eerily accurate. Steven, you're up. What's your birthday? All right. June 5th, fellow Gemini. That's right. One time me and Steven coordinated our birthday parties and he came three hours late. 
but I'm over it. That was five years ago. She's over it, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Over that, over Halloween. I know who's not donating a kidney. No, I definitely do not have a running list of grudges. All right, your work and vocation horoscope. Your ability to grasp original concepts and situations is likely to be recognized and appreciated by your employers or superiors. Adaptability and knowing how to stay calm in a crisis suggests that you can overcome challenging situations. These qualities, combined with the willingness to work hard, often help you develop leadership ability. In fact, as you like to be in control and not subservient to others, you do better working for yourself or as a manager or a director. Interesting. You can excel at problem solving and, when necessary, be tough. This is particularly applicable to bringing in new reforms and making changes. If drawn to the theater or film, you could be a good actor, producer, or director. So everything in that arena. With your good sense of form and style, you may be drawn to the image-making industries of work as a designer. Another avenue for your talents may be government services or politics, in which you can utilize your natural authority. Famous people who share your birthday, I don't know if you're ready for this, include Karl Marx, political leader Ho Chi Minh, singer Tammy Wynette, one of my favorites, Soren Kierkegaard, and comedian, famous comedian, Michael Palin. Mm. So I, I, I didn't wow. share a birthday with Kierkegaard. Okay. Yeah. Steven designer. I know. Guys, I'm dropping it all. I'm I think going. there's a flat iron course for that. There is. Actually, there, there is. is. Yeah. UI UX. Does any of this resonate with you? You're feeling like it's not you. You've always felt heavily identified with your idol Karl Marx. Yeah. D- I mean, definitely that. I'm such a dynamic person. You know, I maybe that was true at some point. Well, you guys know me. What, what do you guys think? There was one first part you said that was sounded correct, and then one that sounded. I would sum it up as ability to grasp original concepts. Yes. Adaptability and staying calm, and then leadership. Well, I think you being the instigator for Elixir at Flatiron School really shows that ability. You incepted everybody with that idea, which is why I'm still writing Elixir. So That's that true. absolutely tracks. And then, of course, there's your country singing talents. Well, true. Tammy that, well. So that really resonates. That's yeah, I, I think there's some stuff in here. I think you stay calm. I think you've managed to calm down situations a number of times. And then totally agree that leadership around Elixir is really what certainly brought me into this area of programming and Merrill as well. Okay, so we'll, you know, these may come back up as we answer some questions. We're learning about ourselves which is the theme of today. It is learning and education. So I'm going to stop boring you guys with my horoscope hobby and move on to some questions for each of y'all. So from Sean, I would love to hear a little bit more from you about where Elixir School kind of came from, how you got started with it. I know I came in and got involved after it had been around for a little while. So would love to hear the origin story. Yeah. So it's kind of an accident. Truth be told, yeah, I decided to take a year off of work to pursue some other things. And during that time, I wanted something extra to do with my time. I don't I don't do downtime well. So I have a background actually in using Java in an enterprise setting. I had moved to the startup world and been using Ruby and felt that it was always lacking. I have a serious distaste for Redis which is basically goes hand in hand with Ruby to do just about any task. And that bothered me a lot. So I had been watching Jose on GitHub and I saw some of the first commits to Elixir. It piqued my interest. So I just 
I kept following along. And then when I decided to start learning it myself, there's a good phrase to teach is to learn twice. So I thought my best way of learning Elixir would be if I wrote down a basic guide and just put it in a repo as if I were trying to teach somebody. And so I did that just for a few lessons and then moved along. And then sure enough, one day I got a issue opened up that was could by username 3100 asking if he could translate it into Japanese. So I was super happy that he wanted to do that. But at that point, I realized I then had to step up my game. There wasn't enough for, you know, if he was going to spend his time on it, I needed to write more. So I ended up then writing a few more chapters. And then that's when Brain Geek showed up and said, hey, could I translate this to Russian? And then I said, well, and if it's going to Russian and Japanese, then I need to write even more. So then I started writing a few more. And then it just, yeah, translators kept showing up. And then I eventually I just said, all right, well, this side hustle of mine is going to take on a part-time full hustle since I've got this time off of work. So I just sat down and wrote lessons for a long time and worked with those translators to figure out what we needed and, and just iterate on it. And then, yeah, I went from being just a couple of markdown files in a repo that then had some subdirectories to now being a, a website where a bunch of people were learning about it and enjoying it. And that was really cool. And then just from there, it kind of, it took off and grew organically as, as people wanted to get involved. And so, yeah, it's been really exciting to, to be a part of that and see it grow. That's how I've met a lot of people like yourself. Yeah. What I love about that story is it's kind of, it's also the story of you learning Elixir, like this idea that for you, and I think for so many others, myself included, the best way to learn is to teach. It's something that I think about a lot. And it's often the reason why I will write whether it's blog posts for myself or contribute to Elixir School. And it's also something that we would try to drive home for our students at Flatiron. We would at the time, I don't know if we still do this, I think we do require students to write a certain number of blog posts. And so often people don't want to for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons why I would get a lot is that people would feel like, well, I'm not really good enough. This isn't interesting enough. I'm not smart enough. Someone else has already, already solved this problem. And like, first of all, no, but all of that aside, it's, also for you. It's for you to understand it better. It's for you to reference it later. It's for you to kind of finish internalizing what you've learned. And yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the reasons why I contribute to Elixir School and get a lot out of it. Especially with a language like Elixir that's still young and doesn't have as many resources as so many other languages out there, it can be more intimidating as a beginner because it's not as easily accessible in terms of how many resources and how much there is out there to reach on. And even not as a like quite beginner, but like continuing to work in it, there's still a lot of digging you have to do to find the answers to things. Whereas in Ruby or JavaScript, it's so easy to pull it out. So contributing and blogging and even the very beginning when you know the things that are confusing you is such an important activity to have as a developer. Yeah. It's definitely something as I mentor people, I always advocate that they look to write blog posts on things, even even simple little blog posts, just to, to get your thoughts down on paper and to process them again and to think about them again. It really drives home. It drives home the topic. And then it also gives you a sense of accomplishment and success. And I think that is important in someone's growth and learning a topic is is feeling like they're accomplishing something. And so that's a really good way of doing it, too. And so, yeah, it's actually just as a, an aside or somewhat relevant as a part of Elixir School, it's been really exciting to see people or have people reach out and say, I want to get involved, but like, how can I and, you know, help them write a lesson or a blog post and then 
a little time later, that person is someone really big in the community and they've really grown. It's really, it's neat to be a part of that and provide a platform for people that's really approachable to get started on. And so, yeah, I, I want to continue to grow that because I think it, like you said, there's resources that are missing in the community because it's still young. Making those available to people and also in their native language just benefits all of us to building our ecosystem and there's more jobs because there's more companies using it, so on and so forth. So it's really, it's a win for everybody. Yeah, by the way, I very much hope that this entire episode will serve as a PSA for people contributing to Accessible. Everyone really should, and there are so many ways to get involved, whether you're translating or updating existing things or adding you know, something as comprehensive as a new lesson or even just a shorter blog post. We do a lot of these like TIL, Today I Learned Style posts. Even the smallest thing I think is, is so fun for individuals to contribute, so helpful to add back to the community. And the last thing I'll say on this for now is that I think writing to... I think you guys will agree, like it makes you a better engineer, it makes you a better communicator, it makes you a better teammate. And having now over the past few weeks transitioned from joining GitHub into this remote team where folks are working asynchronously, doing a lot of writing to communicate, I'm kind of just like thanking God for all of the technical writing that I've ever done in my life. You know, anything I've done through Elixir School in particular, because it definitely helped me develop some of the skills that I really find myself needing in this environment. So it's been really great question for Stephen, actually, since I feel like we just heard a little bit from Sean on how he got started with Elixir. It was sort of part of him forming Elixir School in the first place. What brought you to Elixir? So I remember watching Jose do a video with screencast called Peep Code. It's pretty old now. They got purchased by Pluralsight. There was a guy, Jeffrey Rosenbach, who would have this series called Play by Play, where you would bring in you know someone who was good at what they, they did, like a seasoned software developer. You give them a problem and sort of just watch them work. So they have different people on and you could see them use their editor and their tooling and kind of like their approach to solving an unknown problem. Jose used Elixir and it was, you know, a pretty straightforward problem pulling down some like M3U8 files and like parsing out like a stream of data. But when he started talking about concurrency in Elixir, that really resonated with me. I, there was something about it, something about seeing the concurrency model of Elixir that made me say, okay, I get this. For a while, you know, I did Ruby for years and I looked at sort of like as core sort of started to get multi-core became more common on on machines and on servers. I kind of felt like a bit left out, but then at the same time I felt that was like a little too stupid to understand like threading and locking and all the sort of like complex concurrency primitives that you have to get your head around so you don't wind up in deadlocks and all this other stuff. And I was like, well, I guess we just do single core, you know procedural, not procedural, but like serial programming. But it was when I saw Elixir that I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And then I just became obsessed and started to talk about it to anyone that I that would listen. Again, I was teaching at the time, so that meant lots of people. I had a captive audience. And then I started to kind of get feedback through that, that this was something special. This was something really cool. And I started to teach my teachers and do after hours sessions where we would build Slack bots and just weird things that we can kind of like figure out to build with this new concurrency model in, in place. And it just sort of fed on itself. So that was, you know, the my path to it. And it's the same thing now. Just like I keep finding new cool things to build with it. We build it, kind of like excel some and and loving it. It's interesting that you mentioned that Elixir's concurrency capabilities are one of the things that really captured your attention and made you feel really excited about Elixir. And I think a lot of people say that it's true for a lot of people. But I also think it's true for a lot of 
people who say that but maybe don't really know what it means. And I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm like putting myself into this group of people. When I first started writing Elixir just like for fun, you know, whether it was with you, Stephen, or kind of at my own time. And then when I first started working with it professionally at the Flatiron School, I sort of knew this line, right? Oh, Elixir's good at concurrency. Elixir's good at fault tolerancy. Something, something multi-core. But I didn't really know what that meant for a long time. And I'm curious to hear from you guys if that's something that you've either experienced yourself or feel like you've seen other people go through and maybe what role kind of the community or education can play in mitigating some of that feeling from people that are excited about it or want to be excited about it, but maybe missing that level of understanding around concurrency or haven't experienced it before. If you're coming from Ruby, for example, you don't really have many opportunities to dig into concurrent programming. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because like a lot of the frameworks that we use now kind of hide a lot of the concurrency from you. Like, for instance, if you're like using Phoenix, right, there's a process that gets, you know, spun off and concurrently runs when a request comes in and like your entire plug pipeline happens in a separate process. And then you may have your own processes that are happening. So a lot of those things are isolated from you as a as a user. I think that it's kind of fun to kind of like I saw when we were, when I watched that screencast to take a take a problem that's like serial and then try spinning up even using Elixir's tasks, right? Like spinning up tasks and seeing like, oh, these things are happening at the same time. It's sort of interesting. One thing I do see people get hung up with a little bit is like the difference between like concurrency and parallelism, which to you as a user is kind of transparent, but it has to do with whether or not things are actually happening at the same time or they just feel like they're happening at the same time. As far as education goes, I think that like doing a lot of you know, low-level tutorials on some of the primitives that are not hiding things from you, like Spawn or like, again, even Elixir's tasks is a good route to kind of get to surfacing, hey, this is actually happening sort of at the same time. Yeah. To echo some of the points that he said, yeah, I think, you know, with Phoenix, a lot of that is abstracted away from you, so you don't need to worry about it. And I think that's good and bad. I think I, well, I know, but I've seen places where concurrency has been misunderstood and things have been built around that without a really clear understanding of how things, you know, a gen server doesn't just automatically make scale. Like you use a gen server that doesn't mean you scale infinitely all of a sudden. And it doesn't mean that it like automatically will do everything that you've asked it to do when it fails gracefully. So I, I think there is some learning that needs to happen there. And it's actually something that I've been starting to think about in terms of Elixir school is, as Stephen mentioned, more content on the the foundations, the underlying concepts so that you can understand the things taking place. I think one of the reasons that, at least in my experience, I don't see a lot of tasks being used and things of that nature is that a lot of people are coming from Ruby where they don't even have that. There's no there, that doesn't exist with the exception of like using Sidekick or something. So that thinking isn't there. I think that's one big challenge to Elixir. And that is where there might be some resources lacking and we as Elixir School could do better is helping the community understand or, or people who come to Elixir understand that it's functional programming. It's not object oriented. It's very different than, and you can't just make a direct, I don't think you can just move from object oriented to functional and get it. You have to start to think about those concepts at a lower level. And then the, the higher level problems start to make a lot more sense and the things underneath suddenly just click. And I think that's where we're missing a lot of, of approachable content. You can find a lot of that stuff for Erlang written very dry as like a manual, 
I think as a community, we could do more to make those foundational topics available and approachable. I was just going to plug a really great blog post by Sophie on concurrency that features, to me, some great illustrations. If you are a visual learner, and I think that a lot of us are, that might be something that's that's lacking in a lot of like what Sean was saying, the dryness of, of reading through like these descriptive things around how concurrency or parallelism work and your brain can just shut down. But Sophie's got some amazing visuals and really like digs into those fundamentals you were talking about, Sean, in terms of what concurrency is. So we can link to that in uh, the show notes. But go ahead, Stephen, what, what you were saying. Yeah, I think that that was a really good point, Sean. The idea of like, like focusing on the education of Elixir, I, I feel like we're almost like the people who come to Elixir are probably not coming to Elixir as their first language. And, and that's something we can talk about later. But like people are coming to this language with, for lack of a better word, baggage or just like a perspective of how things are done and how to solve a problem. And I think that, you know, Elixir syntax is very, very nice. It appeals to a, a lot of Rubyists because it's easy to read. It's low ceremony. It sort of gets out of your way. A lot of the, the values that I think are really useful about something like Ruby. But then, and then the first sort of thing that hits you is like, oh, this is functional. But even if you get the functional part, you're not thinking about the next level, which is the concurrency part. And then even if you get concurrency, you're not thinking about the next part, which is that fault tolerance with supervisors and supervision trees. And even if you get that, you're not talking about the part that is about building a distributed system that you know syncs across a cluster and uses these new concepts. So I almost feel like there's this tier of learning that has to happen, which is like, okay, here's some syntax. Here's a conditional. Awesome. Let's talk about a new thing. Here's some pattern matching. Okay. Pat, what can pattern matching let you do? Now here's concurrency. But no one does it this way. We do it this way. You know, like there has to be this sort of like idea of ramping people up in a different way. You know, years ago at this point, Sophie and I talked about like doing an Elixir course, even for like brand new programmers. And the approach for that is totally different, right? The approach for that is definitely like, hey, you have no idea what programming is. Let's literally start with like one plus one and IEX and like an interpreter. And like, how do we sort of like encapsulate instructions inside of a function? And like, you can actually take things for granted because they won't know things. You don't have to unteach them object dot method argument, you know? So I think that there, there's something there, which is like, we kind of have to always be mindful of the fact that it's like, hey, you found this language and you have some thoughts, forget everything you know, do this thing. Yeah, that's really interesting to talk about the two different learners coming from another language and especially another paradigm, like object-oriented programmers versus a beginner and the different ways that you would teach that. I'm kind of curious if you think that there should be just absolutely like two different tracks to learning a language, even just generally coming into something like Elixir, if you are a beginner versus if you are a programmer, what kind of resources you should be looking at and where to be starting? Like, where does that unlearning happen, I guess? So actually something to add real quick before we move on that I, I just recalled. Another big stumbling point, I think, for Elixir for a lot of people is that it's compiled. And that is very different than the majority of the web languages that we work in. And what that means to your code and evaluation and things like that is, is a stumbling point. And that's another thing talking about just kind of core concepts. There's not really anything out there. I mean, even I'm guilty of that. Elixir schools give that. We don't really discuss what compilation means and, and things like that. Your question as for first language, I guess that's kind of with no background in programming, I feel like you have to start somewhere before a language even. You know, functional programming is very math-based. If I were going to teach someone how to program and I wanted to start with Elixir, I'd probably start with what like functional programming is and 
thinking in terms of data and tuples and those those structures before I ever even began to touch a language itself. I think it's I think fundamentals are really important and oftentimes overlooked in an effort to to produce something and get your hands dirty. But you know, I love nail guns are fun. You know, it's super cool to go put a bunch of nails in a piece of wood. But you should understand why you're you're putting those boards the way you are. And admittedly, when it comes to building things with wood, I don't know the fundamentals. So don't ever sit on anything I build or really stand near it. That's good to know. I mean, I think when you put it like that, though, kind of talking about the fundamentals and data structures and sort of how to think in terms of functional programming, when you put it like that, I sort of feel like that is a really a central piece of the learning puzzle for people that are coming from non-functional languages and frameworks that have this sort of baggage that Stephen was talking about, as well as people that are a little bit more of a clean slate. And to sort of bring it back around to Elixir School, it, it feels like to me that when you first started Elixir School, it was almost like this living document of the learning that you were doing and the collaborating that you were doing with people around the world. And it grew organically, which is so exciting. And I'm curious if the way that you think about it has changed now, if you have goals, really intentional goals around how to teach or what to teach that you're trying to sort of promote within Elixir School or, you know, get some collaboration on. Ooh, that's a tough question. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think Elixir School's grown quite a bit. I think there's definitely some content that we're missing that would be important to get out there. I think it's a matter of right now prioritizing and figure out where to focus, you know, kind of to some of Stephen's earlier points. We don't even really have any content on concurrency or, you know, a distributed sense in doing notes. None of that's even in Elixir School for, we don't provide content for you to really level up. But again, we also don't even offer content before the basics of Elixir. You're right. You know, Elixir School came to be out of my learning and I have a function. You know, I've done object but I've also done a lot of functional programming. So I didn't cover that because I already knew that. And there are, there's absolutely um, George, who's our, you know, in charge of our Greek translations. Love that guy. He, you know, recently reached out to me and said, hey, man, we need to reconsider maybe rewriting most of the basics because there's a lot of things that you assumed people knew because you knew them but they don't know them. And, you know, even for him, he had some background. So he also just filled in the blanks, but he started to mentor someone recently and they've been saying, well, wait, hold on, hold on. Why? And so I want to do more to promote Elixir School to, to get people involved. And I think there's a whole niche of people that we haven't reached yet, which are those folks that are coming into it, don't understand these topics and working on some of that content around Fundamentals may be an opportunity for them to reinforce that learning and, and provide a stepping stone. So for, on my part, it's really a matter of trying to break down what that content would look like and, and find folks and help them put it together. But yeah, there's a lot of work we could be doing, but it's exciting. Yeah. And then I think, of course, I have to do our call back to the horoscope. You know, the work you do to promote Elixir School is very central to its growth and to the learning of so many people and appeared in your horoscope, which is eerily accurate, if I may say so. And then I just kind of want to echo one of the things that you said towards the end there, which is that, right, it's not like, oh, gosh, Elixir School, you know, belongs to Sean. And Sean is responsible for, like, meeting all the goals that he set out for Elixir School. It's very much, it's an open source project. Like, you know, we do want collaborators. And as we and others identify the need for some of this new content, whether it's more things around concurrency, whether it's content that builds on the basics of, you know, how to think in terms of functional programming. Those are things that, you know, we need and want people to 
contribute or even just kind of point out really concretely the need for it and make it really easy for, for folks to plug in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely not my project. And I'll, if anybody asks, it's definitely our project. I've done everything I can to actually shed my name from that building a, a, a new org. And, you know, so you and I have talked offline, but I'm actually will be formalizing Elixir School into its own LLC so I can take myself and my name off of it entirely and allow us to look at accepting donations from some corporate sponsors and stuff and allow us to have a greater impact and look at how we can reach out and globally touch more people and get them excited about Elixir and into the fun with the rest of us. Yeah, one thing that I would love to dig into a little bit is just everybody's, all y'all's sense of like how the Elixir community, especially around the world, has grown and changed in recent years. But if it's okay with you, I want to put a pin in that question because I want to draw out one last thing that you said Sean, which is as George was starting to mentor someone, I think you said he was saying that this person would keep saying to him, well, why, why, why? And I think that's a very fine line to walk as a teacher, giving someone the tools that they need to kind of get up and running and start exploring themselves without just kind of saying, ah, it doesn't matter why, like, I'm not going to explain, don't go deeper right now. And I think that's a tension that we experience a lot as teachers. And I know it's something that Stephen has dealt with and kind of a line that he's walked as an instructor at Flatiron. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think that it's like, there's this kind of weird thing that happens when you, you move towards like learning something, right? There's like unconscious incompetence, conscious competence, un, you know, that, that whole thing. If that didn't make sense, look up those two words, you'll, you'll find what I'm talking about. But like, you don't know what you don't know. And then you finally are introduced to this massive world of things you don't know. And you're like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. Right. I don't know about functional programming. I don't know about pattern matching. I don't know about this. I don't know about all the millions of things. When I was teaching, it was more around Ruby. So I don't know about objects and, and what's an instance variable. And, you know, how does, how does inheritance fill into this? And I said, look, we're learning about arrays right now. Don't worry about it. And I think that that's something that you have to give yourself permission to not understand everything right now as a learner, just to say, like, look, part of this is just repeating the same exact either exercise or build the same thing in different shapes over and over again. I mean, in my personal experience, I think I had to build gen servers for like six months before I was like, oh, obviously this is how this works, right? Like you just, and then now it's in your head and there's no way you can imagine not understanding how a gen server works and reduction and like your handle info call and cast and your terminate callback. You just get it, right? But I think that there's like that tension whenever we mentor somebody to say like, I hear you. You don't understand how this thing works. Just kind of like, Punt on that. Just give yourself permission to not have to understand it now. That's it. So this kind of ties back to something else that you mentioned earlier, Sean, the idea of like, if you were teaching, I think about this a lot, you know, dreaming in my head, if I had infinite funding and was running a boot camp for Elixir. Oh, we should get together someday and just talk. Yes. If I could do that and just be like, you know, let's build the thing out. Like, what would I build? I mean, part of my philosophy for teaching was step one, get people excited. I would grab, get a room full of people day one in class and say, let's build something relatively trivial. Let's hit an API and, you know, build a command line application in Ruby, right? And the idea behind that is like, are they going to understand all the RESTful calls? Are they going to understand, you know, all that there is with endpoints and query parameters? No, but they'll be like, I will help them kind of like get to the line. This is how you include a gem in your project. This is how you make the call. This is how you render it to this page. And I can say that those people... That success, that early success that I built a thing, you know, the the nail gun example was super useful because even though they they would have 
totally died if it was like an actual like project. Like they weren't skilled enough. They knew enough things that introduced a new enough crevices into like gaps in their knowledge where they were able to kind of research on their own and say, oh well, what does Gets do, right? You know, what is the standard end thing? What are the special characters? Why did this happen? What does Control D do in Gets? And then they kind of like dive into all these edge cases. So like planting a flag is super important. So like in my boot camp, it would probably be something like that. Like, let's just build something crazy in Elixir and be like, what the hell just happened? That's fine. We'll get to it. That's why we're here for like our period of time to kind of like really get into these things. And now you have more context to ask better questions because you're like, this reminds me of that one time when I wrote this weird command line thing. Now, can we talk about it? And it's yes, you have context, you're excited about it, you have your own solution that was probably really, really hacky at the time, but it worked. And now we talk about what the right way to do things are. That's interesting to talk about planting a flag. And it makes me feel like the things that really get people excited. And one of them to me is like having easy wins at the very beginning, like something that you can hold on to and say like, I did that. I achieved that. So I know I can do more. And as our resident psychologist, Sean <laughs> in the room, was that Sean or was that Steven? I can't remember. Sean, great. I was the patient. <laughs> no, I, I think like actually identifying what makes people excited is a huge part of being a teacher and it can be intuitive. You can just see it in some people and it's different for a lot of people, but like having easy wins is one of them. When you're running something like Elixir school and it's not in person, when it's, you know, these going through these lessons and, and blog posts and TLL, it's like, how do you gauge when people get excited and when they, what will make them excited, what gets them to the next lesson and kind of gets them even deeper into Elixir? Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, I know people get excited because folks email me or, or reach out to me and tell me that they're excited about it. But for anybody who's ever met me in person can tell you that I'm an incredibly passionate and energetic person. So I wish I could actually, I, I, you know, speaking back to Stephen's point of having a million dollars, I don't know that I would put on a boot camp, but I would do an Elixir School world tour and I'd go meet every single contributor and hang out with them for a little bit. And I would just go teach Elixir classes all over the world because it excites me. And so I like to excite people with it. And yeah, it's, it's really difficult when people want to know everything. And I, I guess I just try to tell them, you know, this is a really exciting journey. You don't want to do it all today. You want to spread some of it out, you know, yeah, you want to sure. be, you want to be loving it for a while, but yeah, it's very difficult in the written world to judge excitement or even really to get, to get people excited. And so that's even something that I, I have recently been wondering about. I mean, even asking the folks in the Elixir School Slack channel, what I could do to actually improve things there and get people more excited, maybe imagery. I'm a terrible drawer. Well, Meryl is amazing. Yeah, Meryl, is, if you need any stick figure illustrations, I think we have your hookup. In a world increasingly remote with coronavirus, you're going to need it. <laughs> I need many more visual aids. But I mean, I think that's a great question, Meryl, and it definitely puts me in mind, as you sort of alluded to, Sean, of a conversation that's just starting to happen among some Elixir School contributors in our Slack channel about what are some things that we can include in some of our lessons to help people really feel engaged to help them feel like, yes, they've learned a thing and like checked off a win? Is it something like little exercises that you might do at the end of the lesson? And it's definitely something that would think about a lot, I'm sure, as instructors at the Flatiron School and kind of going back and forth around the utility of things like quizzes and, you know, assignments that you submit. How do you sort of strike that balance between, sure, evaluating that somebody did a certain amount of work or learned a thing, which is more of a 
concern if you're actually running a school that someone paid you money for. But beyond that, how do you just give people tools and opportunities to internalize and practice what they've learned and then just feel good about it and feel excited about it? And I think in another sense, Elixir School plays an important role in that process because just by providing an opportunity and a place for people to plug in and write something or translate something or contribute in any way, however small, that's a win. That's something to be really excited about. That's something to like brag to your friends about, or it's going to show up on Twitter or whatever. So one of the things I love about Elixir School is honestly just the fact that it exists, that if I'm working on something or I'm working with someone who's working on something and, you know, we figured out a thing, however small, there's like a place we can go to articulate it, to share what we've learned and to kind of tell the world about it. And I personally think that's pretty cool. Yeah, you actually, something that I haven't done or been good about that I want to do more of is actually finding other people in the community who don't have a platform to talk about those fun things and encourage them to start writing those blog posts. Because I think that is a good way to encourage people in an asynchronous text world is seeing reading about other people being excited, you know, reading how someone learned something. And, you know, I've actually thought about that going around, you know, I've got a bunch of emails that people reach out asking people for quote to put on Elixir school, like how Elixir school really taught them something that made them feel like they grew, which gave them the confidence to do something else. And, you know, I, I hear from people about how like just having approachable resources gave them the opportunity to try something. And then just through the community in general, through the Elixir Slack just got better and, you know, stepping stones and now they've got a job and it's, you know, something they never thought they would have. And so it's exciting. And I would love for more people to publish that content so people can read about it and themselves get really, really stoked because Elixir is pretty awesome. That actually puts me in mind of a blog post that Meryl wrote for Elixir School, I think last January about some work that she had done on our team to integrate our Elixir app with Kafka. And I don't want to speak for you too much, Marla. I'd love to hear you share a little bit about it. But I think it was very much a case of like, this was really challenging. We learned something that was really cool. Ultimately, I think we ended up not shipping and not integrating with Kafka, period. Not because, you know, the work wasn't good, but because it wasn't, you know, the messaging system we were going to use. But I think that's a great example of something that should end up in an article on Elixir School or, or wherever. Oh, I'm not just because it's Elixir School, but my previous employer absolutely used that article to build a system. <laughs> it happened right around that time. And I, I said, no joke. Someone just put this article on Elixir School and we actually use that to do the work. That was my easy win for the day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I apologize you. if I ever told you that before, but no, I got a kick out of that to actually be in a situation where someone contributed content and it was immediately useful for me. So that was really cool. Well, you got another one coming on pre-litter functions. Let me awesome. tell you. They are hard. <laughs> there is not <laughs> enough content out there yet. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really great to hear. And maybe that would be a great way of helping students to know what they're doing by putting that kind of work out there. It's just like, do you remember when you didn't understand this? Like Stephen was talking about that point of like, I've always known this. Of course, this makes sense to me now. After six months of learning gen servers, like this is intuitive. But before that point, there's all these black boxes and writing down those questions, even if it's not a blog post, just writing your questions down and like the not understanding parts of it is so useful because you don't remember what it's like to not understand those things when you get to that point. Yeah, I think a great rule of thumb for like, when should I write something or share what I've learned? When should I teach? Is like, 
did you have a really shitty day? Was this thing extremely impossible? Could you not find any resource that could tell you how to do the thing, but you finally figured it out? Like, I think those are those moments to kind of be like a wake up call. And like, I should teach someone else this. I should write it down. I should share it, whether it's on Elixir School or another platform. I think that's a good signal. I would suggest to people, to students that are like, oh, I don't know what to write about, right? Because as you mentioned during the program, we're having them write often. Is, is Did you have to Google something more than two times to find the answer? Be that first result. Like, go ahead and like write it, digest it specifically with your context and the problem that you're solving. Write that post. Might not seem like anything. Yes, you found the perfect thing eventually, but write that in a way that would be the first thing you looked for and found because you can help someone out. Absolutely. All right. So we are kind of getting to the end of our time together, very sadly. I'm going to throw one more question that I would love to get your guys' thoughts on, and then we'll wrap up. So a little bit more forward looking, what would be like a wish list item for you? What is something that you would really love to see happen in the Elixir community, especially with regards to Elixir education in the next year? I can speak for what I'd like to see us do in Elixir school, and that's like I said, starting to produce more content that is more fundamentals. And even if even if you're already been using Elixir for a while, going back and understanding, reading about data structures, you know, just those kind of things I want to get out there so people can feel like they're getting, they're rounding out their knowledge more so. I know, you know so this past summer, unfortunately, I was injured and didn't get to attend it. We did a workshop at Elixir Comp. And I, I believe Sophie is going to be looking at doing one at a conference coming up. And I want to see more workshops like that that are made to be more affordable and more easily accessible with the community and possibly even look, I floated this idea with a few people, possibly look at hosting, you know, just free webinars, maybe monthly that go over a topic and provide the community a place to come together, kind of almost like attending a lecture at a college campus, like sit in the auditorium and have an opportunity for someone to speak on a topic that they think is really cool or they learn from and just do that. Just, yeah, get more people out there in front of folks and yeah, sharing. Sharing is caring. For me, I think what I would like to see is, I'd like to see everyone using Elixir, step one. Everyone, get on it. Yeah, that one this too. Is an, this is an amazing platform. You're missing out. But the thing I think that would have the biggest impact on even the spread of it, so is getting more beginners. Like I would love to see some super beginner friendly content or yeah, contents, projects, just some voice that is like, hey, you're new to programming period. Dave Thomas does this course where he teaches as a first language Elixir. I don't know if his curriculum's available anywhere, but he's like, this is programming, welcome. And you just pass functions to functions. The reason I say that the beginners are super important is because in my experience, having taught you know, hundreds of people to program from very little, you notice the content that they write is the right content for a beginner, right? They just get something, they wrote, they write something back and they're like leaving breadcrumbs for each other. And as a result, you have this rich body of beginner friendly content that makes it even easier to get started in it. So you get more people sort of like funneling in, right? Ruby is incredibly easy to pick up today because people have written all of the basic, this is a list. What is a hash? How do I access a hash? What do you do when, what's a conditional? Like these things that we take for granted only will be written with either beginners in mind or in collaboration with beginners or getting beginners involved. So that's kind of what I think would be really awesome. Step one, make there a massive market demand for Elixir developers. Secondly, let's start kind of like 
building content for super new people? So to that, I think it's kind of interesting building a market demand. One thing, just because I do have a background that's been in bigger enterprise that I feel has been missing from Elixir is hot, more advanced content. I would love to hear more companies talking about how they're shipping Elixir in production and how they're building these systems and the problems they found along the way and the the wins that they've had. That is something that I think we saw a lot in Ruby. And I think that helped Rails explode was you started hearing all of these startups talking about what they were doing with it and how they were solving problems. And I would say, and I'm guilty of this at every company I've worked at, I don't see a lot of companies coming out and talking about what they're doing. There are some, but not as many as you would expect. You know, if you look at a, at Elixir companies, there's 490 some odd companies who've reported using Elixir. There's, I'm not sure there's 400 blog posts on using Elixir in production. I'd love to see more of that stuff and understand, you know, once I've built my Elixir app, what's it going to be like in two years or when I need to really grow and expand my business? What's that look like in an Elixir app? You know, I would love to see a lot more of that content kind of like the after action reports. You know, I want to know what's happening in the trenches with these other Elixir companies. That's some content that I, I personally would love to see. But I agree with you. Beginner content is really critical. Lowering the barrier to entry is really what drives success in modern languages, I think. Yeah. But I also think that the content you're talking about is sort of the first step for my my first goal, which is more people should use this, right? Once you've done a hot code upgrade in production, you don't want to do anything else. It's like amazing. And I, I think that the content's not there, the, the not lessons aren't there in a way that's digestible for people to say, okay, I, can, I feel confident enough to try building a system based on this well-tested feature, but you know, I understand it well enough. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example. A lot of places I've worked use Kubernetes or something of that nature. And so we don't do hot code upgrades. So I know that I've talked to a lot of people and they, when it comes to deploying Elixir code, they're kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know. What do I do here? I kind of, I've only kind of heard rumblings of different things. I think if more people talked about what they're doing, you would be able to read and come away and say, you know, this is what works for me. I know because Stephen talked about how that hot code upgrade saved the day and brought them out of an outage, you know, or, or something of that nature and empower people to make the decisions, you know, from lessons learned. Awesome. Thank you guys for those thoughts. I will ask you if you have any final plugs or anything that you guys would like to share. If people want to reach you, for example, is there somewhere that they could reach out to you, perhaps on social media? And if you have any asks for our audience, anything that you would like people to do or get involved in, please share. And I'd like to add to that, if you want to throw out any beginner resources that you want us to include. I know, Stephen, you mentioned a video earlier that got you into Elixir. So anything that y'all want to throw out there for people to use. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I would ask of people is use Elixir, evangelize it, spread the good word, show people the light. And I guess this is an opportunity for me to clear up a confusion that has haunted me for years now. My Twitter handle and my GitHub handle and the handle that I use for everything is Dooms Spork, not Dooms Pork. It's Dooms Spork. Like a metal utensil that is the, the birth child of a spoon and a fork, that that brings the apocalypse. That brings doom. Right. Like a- it's not doom's pork. 
And I know I can see you laughing hysterically and our listeners won't know that, but you would be shocked at how many people have come to me and said, I got to ask, man, what's your fascination with pork? (laughs) Like it's nothing. I'm like, I know you think I'm weird, but it's even weirder because it's with a utensil. My fascination is with the sport, not pork. They're like, oh no, this is the wrong conversation to start. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So that's now clear. (laughs) I'm on social media, Twitter, mostly at underscore Steven Nunez. Very boring, no pork-related or spork-related content in my names. On GitHub, I'm just regular old Steven Nunez. If anyone from Twitter is listening, the other Steven Nunez hasn't used that account in years. Come on, hook me up, all right, just to get rid of this guy. One thing I want to plug is a really good friend of mine, a content writer, wrote documentation for Bundler. Her name is Stephanie Marillo. I wrote a book called The Developer's Guide to Content Creation, and it's really cool. It's a step-by-step guide to creating and writing more often. I know one thing that I have issues with is like, how do I start writing something? A really good way to, to organize ideas and actually do your outlines and makes the process really easy to follow. I know it's helped me a bunch to just write more. So make sure you check that out. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for sharing that. Meryl, do you want to close this out? Surely. That is it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again to our guests, Sean Callen and Steven Nunez, and my co-host, Sophie DiBenedetto. Once again, I'm Meryl Dakin. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic podcast. They're at Smart Logic. They're always trying to take on new projects, building web apps in Elixir, Rails, and React, infrastructure projects using Kubernetes, and mobile apps using React Native. They'd love to hear from you if you have a project they could help you with. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can also find them on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And so add Elixir Wizards on all of those. And join us again next week on Elixir Wizards for more on working with Elixir. Elixir.